Okay. I am recording this podcast and simultaneously filming a live on Instagram. So I'm going to do my best to try to address the Instagram live audience and what will end up being the Instagram audience and hopefully TikTok, YouTube, Facebook audience when we cut up clips of this and put this out, try my best to address that audience. And then I will also try my best to address the audience that are the podcast listeners that will hear the audio of this podcast episode when that comes out. So forgive me if I do not juggle both of those things well. Hopefully throughout the night, I'll get better at doing that. So that being said, what I want to point out next is throughout these last two years and three, four months since I've been involved with the struggle against police terrorism, mass incarceration, uh, and racial injustice, I've learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about my mannerisms, my behaviors, the way my mind works, my habits, and things of those nature, and how much of those things worked in the way that they worked because of the culture and the society and the environment and the role that that played in uh, in my upbringing and all of our upbringings. And so as, I, as I've struggled against that culture and struggled against those some of those value systems and struggled against some of those norms, I've also struggled against some of the habits that I have within me from some of those norms, some of the thought patterns and beliefs that I had within me because of some of those norms. And one of the things that I've learned very much about myself is that my creativity and my passion comes in spurts when in the in the in the aspect or in the realm of creating content or in you know doing things like recording this podcast episode, having this live going, and particularly when I'm dealing with any type of strife or any type of anything that's unsettling, it really upheave, it really has a upheaval on my creativity and on my inspiration. And I, I'm as somebody who, as an artist, wrote music, recorded music, still record music and write music, that was something that I would always try to steer away from. I would always feel more, when I was more at peace, that's when I could write music. When I was going through something, I wasn't really good at writing music and creating music. But once I had went through whatever I was going through and I had become at peace with the situation, I was a lot better at writing about, writing from the standpoint of looking back on it. And so within this particular realm, there is no looking back on it or there is no peace, so to say. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had something to drink. And so it's been very difficult for me to balance out trying to be creative and trying to be inspired in this space while at the same time the things I'm trying to be creative or be inspired about have roots in such deep grief and, and it's such deep pain and it's such deep struggle and it's such deep agony and the things that I am creating content or will be creating content about are not uplifting things you know the I do these Rockford Reading Daily podcast and, and eventually I will get to the topic of this specific podcast episode which is the about George Floyd two years after George Floyd and what the landscape looks like but before I do that I want to 
preface what my plans are for the social construct, the Leslie podcast, and also what my plans are for some of these Instagram lives that we're going to do tonight. And so <clears throat> as I've been doing, I do these right for reading daily podcast and I'll never forget. We have begun doing these Rockford reading day or Rockford readings outside of city hall. And we were reading all these different books and Ari came to me and he was like, you know, I, I stopped reading as much and doing the readings because I was just always reading about death. Yeah. And he was like, you know, what am I the grim reaper? You know, and you know, we laughed about it and I laughed about it, but I felt very similarly. Like I had slowed down doing some readings a lot through the end of 2021. I had slowed down with being actively creating some type of content or actively keeping the conversation going and the dialogue going through other avenues besides just being down the city hall. And it was just because the, the, the weight and the gravity and the burden of the situation became not necessarily overwhelming, but it became, it became, it became deeper. You know, I understand, I, I became, I understood the the issue and the problem so much more intimately that it became difficult for me to keep the mindset of doing these small things every day or doing something like recording a live or recording a podcast or reading the book or, you know, chopping up videos, you know, partly because I understood how much it was going, how many how difficult the situation we were looking at and how difficult it was going to be to overcome some of these things. And it makes it feel as if these small steps begin to not matter, even though I'm actively preaching about the importance of the small steps, you know, but at the same time, being at city hall, trying to keep the memorials up and say their name square, trying to keep the conversation going in person, trying to keep chalk on the sidewalks, trying to keep some of the social media content flowing that still was a small step as well you know and so it began it began a for me became became a picking of my battles and at the time one of the battles that I just gave up one of the battles that I felt and I shouldn't use the word gave up but one of the battles that I had to put on pause was the battle of the social construct the Leslie podcast I can never get into the groove of recording the podcast on a regular basis, putting it out on a regular basis. I wanted to go back to the very beginning of my experiences with the May 30th Alliance and with the struggle against police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice in Winnebago County. I wanted to go back for to May 30th, 2020 and eventually walk through all the events that led up to whatever the current date was that I was recording the podcast episodes. And as I went back and try and began remembering those things and recalling those things, it just didn't feel it wasn't, it was a, a it was hard to remember the, the mindset that I was in in some of those spaces. And also it became so clear to me how big of a collective what went on in 2020 was. And even with what still goes on now when the, when we have a protest at city market, it's just impossible for one person to try to present that to people and to present it accurately. It has to be done in a, a group aspect. And once I made that realization, I slowed down doing the episodes and I, I stopped putting the social construct, the Leslie podcast episodes out. And I had to reevaluate what I wanted the podcast episodes, what I wanted the podcast to be. And then I decided I was just going to, you know, maybe just talk about different subjects here or there. And so I think I tried that maybe a month and a half, two months ago. 
And then my plan was just, you know, to try to record it, record episodes, pre-record them and do them every now and then. And, but do them every couple of days, have them pre-recorded and then put them out on a weekly basis. And what ended up happening is I couldn't keep the, I would have the momentum for maybe a day or two where I was real motivated or not even motivated. Cause that's not the right word. I'm, I constantly have the motivation It's it's the inspiration aspect. And I think that's a very thin line. You know, I think it's the difference between the difference between motivation and inspiration is the difference between wanting to do something and having the desire to do something. I think that inspiration is just a, a, a more passionate form of motivation and it's an amalgamation of a few other things. But so my point, my point in saying all that is I will lose that inspiration after a couple of days. And so what I told myself is the next time that I got a hold of that inspiration, the next time that I got a hold of that desire to speak about different subjects, I would, I would just do a whole night or evening or morning or whatever, where I just try to knock out a bunch of the episodes and I would also film them on Instagram or film them on Facebook or something like that live to sort of keep me motivated to keep going through the night to record the episodes. And then that, all, that way also I could chop up the video, the video versions of the podcast episodes and put those out as clips. And so today, the past couple of days, I've been, I was thinking about different topics and different things that I wanted to talk about and one of the things that I want this format to be for me and for people listening to it is to be a free flowing format. I don't want to have specific points that I'm trying to speak about or for specific outlines that I have. You know, I think that's important for other versions of podcast series. You know, I think that's exactly what I do with the Rafa Reading Daily podcast. You know, it's not this free flowing stream of consciousness. I have a certain intro. Excuse me. Excuse me. I have a certain intro. After I intro it, I begin reading the first portion. After I read through a certain amount of the book, I reflect, I read, I reflect, I outro it, you know. And so I've, it's very much outlined exactly for me how it's exactly what's, what you see is what you get. Each episode is sort of the, it, the same iteration of that. And for some people, that'll be enjoyable. For other people, it won't be enjoyable. I put those at podcast episodes out specifically because I think that once we get some of these things rolling in the way that I believe that they will be rolling, it'll be important for people to be able to go back and build up a backbone in, in, in the struggle and get some type of root understanding in these issues and, a, and all of the books that I'm currently reading and that we've read for these Rafa Reading Daily podcasts provide that, that backbone and that structure and that curriculum. And so this podcast episode or this podcast series specifically, I want to be free flowing. I want to be able to, I want to work on my skills as an orator. I want to work on my skills as a communicator. And I want to be able to not have already pre-planned what I'm going to speak about and get into the, the groove and the habit of just being inspired as I'm speaking and getting into the habit of allowing myself to sort of be led by the issues. And so that's what I want to do with this specific podcast episode today. 
with the with the topic of George Floyd and two years after George Floyd and what the landscape looks like in Rockford specifically and in Winnebago County specifically two years after George Floyd. And so with that being said, the first thing that I think is important to do because it it sort of puts into perspective the, the, the narrative that exists within the society because of how many people use the internet because of how many, because of what search engines are and algorithms are. And so I went to Google and I typed in George Floyd and the first things that come up are one of the, it looks like the outside surveillance video of him being arrested, a video of a steel. This is a steel, I should say steel. And then another steel picture of Derek Chauvin's knee on his neck. And then you see a picture of George Floyd himself, just a, it looks like a, maybe a selfie or something like that. And it says about, on the about right here, George Perry Floyd Jr. was an African-American man who was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis, Minnesota during an arrest after a store clerk suspected Floyd may have used a counterfeit $20 bill on May 25th, 2020. George Floyd was born October 14th, 1973 in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And he was, and he died May 25th, 2020. He was killed May 25th, 2020 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. <clears throat> and, and then here's some of the recent news stories that pop up when you type in the name George Floyd. Study finds wave of activism after George Floyd's murder drew from multiple issues. And then another one, second fatal shooting this month near George Floyd Square. Derek Chauvin has served time in federal prison in Arizona for killing George Floyd. And then something about more black Americans live in Texas than any other state two years after George Floyd. All right, I'm not going to read none of those articles, but I just think that as a base of where we want to start in this conversation, I think that the internet and George Floyd are two things, are two, and when I speak about George Floyd, I want to make sure that I do the, that I preface this by saying, actually, let's start it like this. <clears throat> George Floyd, like many things in American culture, has become a symbol. He's, we all exist as individuals. We all exist as human beings and as people as we walk through this earth, as we go through this existence. But there are certain events that have happened in history, have happened historically, and will continue to happen in the future where individuals and collectives can become symbol uh, symbolic and it separates them from every everybody th everybody else or everything else that does not have that status of symbolism connected to them now i, I think that i want to make sure when i say separation that that's not taken as a as a slight to one or the other i think that just because one person or one entity becomes symbolic it does not give them any type of superiority to an individual or to a group that does not take on that symbolism because something can only be symbolic through other individuals and through other groups or collectives 
giving that symbolism to it, giving the power to it or to that individual to be symbolic. And so George Floyd exists as an individual, as a human being, as a father, as a friend. But George Floyd also exists as a symbol of specifically of black people in America. And then on the side of that, of black people in the world. And I think then once you get past that point, there's other layers of symbolism that he has, but those are the two main things. And I think that when I look back to 2020, to May 25th, 2020, to the day that George Floyd was murdered, to the first time that I heard the name George Floyd, to when George Floyd had not went through the transformation of being, of existing as just an individual and becoming a symbol, the first thought that I had was another name, another person, another one. And And that happens, that's happened two years removed from that. That still happened to me multiple times since then. In the next months after George Floyd, I would have the same thought of another one. I remember when Jacob Blake was shot, another one. I remember here in Rockford, Illinois, when Tyrus Jones was shot, another one. I remember when I first seen the pictures of Denzel Duvant being beat uh, after being assaulted here in by the Rockford Police Department. And the thought was another one. Multiple people have died inside the Winnebago County Jail this year. And forgive me for not having their knowing that remembering their names off the top of my head. Uh, that's I have to get myself more acquainted with the names of those 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 gentlemen. But I remember each time seeing those stories and thinking another one when the man was uh, killed in front of the casino out here earlier this year in Rockford, Illinois, at the Rockford Casino, where OG Avani's was at. I went out there was filming with my phone, looking around. It's a few, it's people on the scene, it's lights, it's police lights everywhere, it's news cameras setting up, and I see some police officers I recognize and that's familiar. I see news people I recognize and that's familiar. And I've it's it's such a surreal moment for me because I this is not something that I plan to be doing throughout my entire life. This is not something that I see myself doing at any point in my life this was something that at at, at some points i i get the feeling that this was something that uh, chose me that i didn't choose it and so being out here at this type of a scene was you know just this surreal moment these moments still have yet to stop feeling surreal to me when tyrus jones was shot the next weeks after that even months after that you know, just felt like surreal, felt like something out of a movie or a documentary or a TV show. When Denzel Duvant was uh, assaulted and, and beat, the same thing. When Jose Gonzalez Jr. was shot and Faustin Guaytigo was murdered out here in Rockford, Illinois, in the same weekend, the same thing, the same feeling of this surrealness. And what that surrealness is also tethered to is this is seeing the stark contrast between the reaction when everyone else since George Floyd has either been shot by the police, murdered by the police, or violently assaulted by the police. The reaction to those in, those events juxtaposed to the reaction 
of George Floyd being murdered by the police in Minneapolis on May 25th, 2020. And there is a see between the reactions it is a wide gap a wide margin between the reactions when in this city specifically in this county in this area specifically from when george floyd was murdered and when everybody else has dealt with that same act that same macro aggression act and it it's a disturbing difference to me it's a disturbing reality to me it's been one of the more almost terrifying things I would say for me to to cope with to understand how to try to understand and to try to begin to understand how people can be so conscious of an issue in a specific moment and can be so oblivious to the same issue uh six months or 12 months down the line. I think a lot of it has to do with the way our attention span is set up in this time period. It has to do a lot with the amount of content that is released in this time period. It has to do with the way that we digest the content. It has a lot to do with the way that the, the way that our value systems are set up. And unfortunately what has, what, what I've seen happen specifically in 2020 from, and I'm talking about now this, this, this moment in which an individual is transformed into a the moment when an individual is individual is transformed into a symbol and or a collective is transformed into a symbol and now we're talking about specifically it happening with George Floyd and to see George Floyd being transformed into this symbol part of what happens is you begin to see the things that separate the events that become symbolic or the individuals or the collective that become symbolic from the things that people that don't take on that same symbolism. And so I look at what was going on when George Floyd was murdered, as opposed to what was going on when all of these other incidents happened. The number one thing that stands out is that the COVID epidemic was in its height. And what you, when you go back and you look throughout time and you look throughout history, one of the things that sets or helps to build the climate for that type of uprising for that type of for that type of activity is some type of outside disruption to the status quo as well whether that be through some type of economic issue or economic crisis or whether that be through what was going on with the covid pandemic and that also that also to me makes me think about the fact of how many things had to stand still, how many things had to stop once COVID hit and once COVID was going and how many things, because it was something that was un- so unforeseen by certain industries, how many things they couldn't have planned for it. And it became, and also one of the things that I, I think happened and one of the, the changes of the climate or one of the things that, we came at the forefront of people's consciousness when COVID happened is the fact that of how, of how, uh, how fragile and how unimportant materials can be and materialism can be because the cars that the cars, when it's, when it's nowhere to drive to, when it's nobody driving, 
the expensive car that you have doesn't have the same importance that it once did. When you can't go to the club or you can't go to the bar, then the new outfit that you just spent however much money on doesn't have the same significance that it once did. When people are being told that you need to stay in place and not be around a bunch of people and sort of, you know, bunker up, you know, having a bunch of friends or, or having a bunch of, you know, places that you go to or frequent to don't mean as much now, you know, the people that you're closest to begin to mean more. And, you know, you, and also when you are looking at being told that a massive amount of people are dying or that you have the possibility that you may be dying increased, it makes you begin to value your own life more or for some people again for this it just happens at a higher clip i'm saying that this is what was going on at a higher clip when this when george floyd was murdered and so i think that all of those things people begin to know themselves were beginning to know themselves better i would say as well that's one of the things that entertainment can distract you from and that's one of the things that you know going out and, and and kicking it these those are all the things that can be you can be distracted from is understanding yourself better and learning things about yourself better and so i think once george floyd was murdered and the manner in which he was murdered at the time in which he was murdered with the things that were on that was on people's mind when he was murdered that that's what has to stand out as well because i don't think that you can duplicate 2020 and the COVID epidemic and all of those things that were going on in the world that led to this, this instantaneous sort of world reaction. But I do think what you can do is you can learn from that climate and you can figure out ways to try to turn, turn those things that happen on a large scale, implement those things on a smaller scale in a local, in a local manner. And so Though you may not, we may not be as a, as a, at the May 30th Alliance, we may not be able to force people to stop everything that they're doing for the next however many months and stay in place and, and re, re-look at their values and begin to think about what things are important and what things aren't important and what, and, you know, reevaluate materialism. But what we can do is that we can challenge their beliefs of materialism at such a regular stance that it begins to change how they understand materialism. What we can do is we can challenge their empathy about certain issues at such a regular basis that it begins to alter uh, what, what type of empathy they once had for certain issues. What we can do is we can put certain issues at their consciousness, at the forefront of the consciousness so often and with such a regular basis that it can begin to make these people more cognizant of some of these things that, they could have went their whole life being completely oblivious or ignorance to besides the times that they trend on Twitter or pop up on CNN. And, and so I say that to say in the midst of understanding this transformation that I believe was happening where George Floyd was going from an individual into a symbol, part of that was people not allowing, or part of that was the way that he was murdered when he was murdered challenged people's beliefs. Uh, one second. I want to, I want to stay on that, that specific point that it challenged people's beliefs. I think that that's one of the things that also is part of what sim- 
part of what can go into symbolism. And I'm not talking about mainstream symbolism. I'm not talking about somebody, uh, the McDonald's golden arch, arch symbolism or nothing like that. What I'm talking about is, is a moment in time is people attributing a moment in time or an emotion that they feel at a time or an event or a movement attributing the aspects of it to a specific entity that encapsulates the best of what that moment was or the best of those attributes. I don't know if I sort of explained that the right way, but so to me, when George Floyd was murdered in the way that he was murdered at the time that he was murdered, people would not allow for the story of George Floyd to become just another story. It wouldn't allow for it to be that people wouldn't allow for it to be just another name. And I think that started initially in Minneapolis. And you can see that because of the reaction that was there. And what I learned from that reaction is that if the first reaction is not a local one, you will not get the residual effects of a national one or a global one. And there may be some, uh, some exceptions to that that I I don't I don't see or I don't know of, but from my understanding and from the things that I've studied and the things that that I've looked at, there has to be a local reaction first. And now that local reaction does not always look the exact same. That local reaction looks different at different points in time. But before this, when this person goes through the portal of being an individual to a symbol, or from being a, a collective to a symbol, or a moment in time, or an event to a symbol. It has to be the place where it happens at that takes the onus on first to uh, push it through that portal or to spur on that transformation, to be the catalyst to that transformation. And that's what Minneapolis was. And I've seen here how when these moments have happened in Rockford since then or Winnebago County since then, that it has not gained or garnered that same same type of local reaction to push the individual through that portal, to push the event through the portal, uh, to push that moment in time through the portal of, or to, to, to be the catalyst of it becoming symbolic. And I think that we live in a time where it can be dangerous to put too much importance on symbolism. And so symbolism is not something that I necessarily always spend large amounts of time espousing or or talking about but i do think that symbolism can hold and does hold importance when in the right hands and when dealt with the right way and when it is not a when it is articulated and when it can be spoken and communicated about the right way a lot of times the dangers with symbolism is that there are not the people who are are around the issue don't have a common belief or a common understanding of the symbol. And I think that that's one of the things that eventually does happen when you talk about George Floyd and what the, the symbolism of George Floyd is Emmett Till an exception. That's a, that's a good question. Oh, okay. So I'm doing the Instagram live and I have been sort of looking at the comments and looking back and forth and, and Antar on the comments on Instagram asked is Emmett Till an exception to that statement. I think that Emmett Till would probably be probably be the closest thing to an exception. And that might actually be, you know, true an exception is that it's Emmett Till. And 
And I but I and I think that one of the things that George Floyd takes on is he took he takes on the symbolism in that same type of category as as Emmett Till. And I think there's also categories of symbolisms of symbolism. And and I want to state this as well. I think that when we begin to genuinely talk about a subject, when we begin to genuinely talk about a moment in time or individual or a topic or a belief pattern or a belief system, one of the things that has to happen is it has to be a conscious understanding between the parties having the communication that this is something that we'll have to revisit, you know, that we cannot in any moment in time form any concrete stances on any of these issues or any of these things because of the constant evolution we should be in what George Floyd should mean in 2022 is not what George Floyd should mean in 2025. I think that, I think that what any symbol means at any one moment is not what it's going to mean in the future, or it's not even what it may have meant in the past. And so part of the, one of the things that I've constantly trying to do, I've tried to do is to speak about subjects multiple times and to go back in. I've done it with this book. I've read the end of policing maybe three times where I've written something about the end of policing and published it or put it out, published it, put it out on social media or on the newsletter. And each time that I've went back and written something about it, I've seen the end of policing in a different manner, in a different light. I say that about books all the time, I, that whenever you read a book, you can go back and you can find something new to take away from it. And I think it's the same thing about, about topics and about discussions, that whenever you go back to a discussion, you will find something new to take away from that discussion, as long as all the parties involved in the discussion are doing the job of, of growing separately and learning separately from the discussion and being able to bring something new into what you're talking about. And so one of the things I think we have to consciously do when we have these symbols is take the time to revisit talking about these symbols and what these symbols mean and what we want these symbols to mean. I think that that's one of the other things that can be forgotten in symbolism is that symbols can change meaning if there's a conscious effort from the parties that accept these things to be symbols. Uh, and and so one of the things that we've talked about is the transformations, some of the transformations that's, or I've, one of the things I've talked about is the process of the transformation of George Floyd going from being, if existing as an individual, as a human being, as a father, as a son, as a brother, as a cousin, to becoming a symbol for people who have never known him, for people who never knew him, for people, if he was not, murdered in the gruesome way that he was murdered would have never known him and would have never heard of his name or, or he would have never taken on this symbolic, symbolic importance to them. And so we've talked about some of the climate that has to be set for that transformation to happen. One of the things I've also tried to do is correlate that back to activities that May 30th Alliance has done to try to set that type of climate in, in Rockford, Illinois, to be, so that way we can get to a point of when this event happens here, be it the individual or the event being able to take on that symbolic importance. And I say that 
to go back to something that I sort of spoke about before, but I want to dive a little bit deeper in here, deeper into here, and that's the inevitability of another one. And or just and even just the word inevitability, I think that part of understanding history is part of understanding inevitability. Part of part of organizing is part of understanding inevitability. Part of mobilizing is part of understanding inevitability. Part of revolution and being a revolutionary is understanding inevitability. And I think that I don't I don't believe in absolutes I, I think that you know using absolutes is always going to be a dangerous thing because any absolute is like excess any absolute or excess in the hands of the wrong person or even in the hands of the right person can lead you down a dangerous path but i do think the concept of inevitability is something that's important because just because you have have the concept or because you understand or because you one generation believes something is inevitable, it doesn't mean that the next generation will have that same belief or the next person will have that same belief. And you need one person to think that something is inevitable and another person to be looking at it like there has to be some type of hope or there has to be some type of a way, whatever the specific issue is, because it's usually in the midst of those paths somewhere where the key to whatever the, to, to solving or to progressing whatever the problem is. And one of the things that I've understood and I've seen and experienced to be inevitable is another person being shot by police department, by police officers. I think, and I got this laptop out here because I wanted to be able to look up specific things. So give me one second. All right. So I had to, I had to pause the podcast momentarily while I looked something up because I wanted to make sure I got the right information. So I spoke about inevitability and this is a statistic that I think is important. And I think that statistics are important with context. I think statistics can be manipulated, of course, but with context, statistics can drive home a point. And this is updated on August 29th, 2022, which I believe is was yesterday. It is now August 30th as of the recording of this. I'm not sure what date this podcast episode will come out but 1034 people have been shot and killed by police in the past year in the united states of america that does not include people who die in law enforcement custody that does not include people who die in jails around the country that does not include people who die in prisons around the country that does not include people who are tased to death that would not include anybody who died like george floyd by being having a knee on their neck or choking to death and that number when you think about that number two years removed from George Floyd being killed it also brings out the it also calls to my consciousness and to, to my mind the word of desensitized 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 and inevitability. And I think part of the job of activism in 2022 is trying to fight against people's desensitization to violence, people's desensitization to murder, people's desensitization to sexual violence, people's desensitization to exploitative violence, people's desensitization to 
race violence that these these there are so many every weekend on Netflix or HBO or stars or whatever you watch, the biggest TV show has violence in it. Every weekend, the biggest movie has violence in it. Every weekend, the biggest album or the biggest, some of the biggest music out or the, some of the songs you're going to hear parties and clubs has violence in it. The news has violence in it. And it was the further back you go in time, the less accessible it was to even view these, this amount of violence. And, we can say whatever we want about I'm not I'm not here to tell people to not watch TV shows to tell people to watch not movie not watch movies to tell people to not play video games because I partake in different versions of all of these things as well and but one of the things that I have been able to do is to to combat my desensitization now that was not always the case that's why I always try to point out that I began to struggle against police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice on the day of May 30th, 2020. And since then, I have been in the process of becoming a new person. And I'm not the complete version of that new person yet. And of course, you know, in some aspects, you're never a complete version of, of who you are until the day that you die. But I do believe that there is a that there is, it, it will be a point in time where I have a, a, a stronger foundation or a stronger standing point and i can i'll look at may 30th as a certain point in time then this process that i went through and then another point in time where that specific process was completed but without taking on that struggle i can't i would never be able to combat the desensitization i would have just like everybody else i have moments of you know we get these like micro doses of empathy where something really bad happens and it trends on Twitter or something really bad happens. And it's the conversation at work or at school or at the dinner table. And whether it's a school shooting or whether it's a, a mall shooting or a restaurant shooting or a bombing or a war or a battle or a local person that, you know, gets killed, there's these micro doses of empathy that we get. But I, it's probably, you know, some form of a defense mechanism. Of course, I'm, I'm not the, a psychiatrist and I don't know much about psychology. I'm, I'm learning, trying to learn a little bit, but I would imagine that it's a defense mechanism because most people don't want to deal with that type of empathy on a everyday basis. They don't want to feel everything that's going on in the world or be conscious of all the negative aspects in the world in a daily basis. I see it all the time when people talk about how come it's never nothing good on the news. And I do think that there's some type of, of course, truth to that. You know, there's a, a saying, if it bleeds, it leads. But I think also one of the things that happens is that some people just don't want to see the realities of the world. And I've never been that type of a person. I prefer the realities of the world. If the reality of the world is that more people are oppressed and more people are exploited and more people deal with injustices than there are good things going on, that's what I want to know. I think that that's, that, that, that's one of the disservices that generations before us were, was, were given is that so often they were there viewing of the world was through a complete narrative basis. When you can't read, you cannot form 
your own belief or your own understanding of the world. You can only adopt someone else's narrative. When you can't write, you can only adopt someone else's narrative. When you don't have access to read different thought patterns and different beliefs and learn different uh, cultures and learn different what's happened in different moments in time and be able to converse about it freely, what happens is that you have hindrances and roadblocks to forming your own beliefs and to forming your own ideologies. And that means that you have to get somebody's narrative of what the world is. You have to get somebody's narrative of any belief system. And you almost, your whole thought, you become like a, the embodiment of someone else's child. You know, you almost become begat by another person where, you know, you're following this person. This person is, you know, they talk about the group leader. This person is the group leader in thought. And the further back you go, the more often that it was one person who was the group leader in thought. And it was accepted for this person to be the group leader. Even that concept of being a leader, the further back you go, becomes more prevalent. And and, I, I shouldn't say that because it's still very much a prevalent thing. And okay, at this point, probably in some aspects, more so than others. But my point is that with information being as accessible as it is, is it allows us to be able to form our own thoughts, form our own beliefs. And and I'm, I'm sort of, okay, yeah, yeah. So I was talking about inevitabilities and uh, desensitization. That's what I was talking about. And one of the things that can happen when you begin to form your own beliefs is that you can combat this desensitization. And so you 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 will not be able to combat this desensitization just by taking in movies and TV shows and maybe a documentary here and there, maybe a book every now and then here and there. This has to be something that as a, on an everyday basis, you begin to challenge. You begin to ask yourself, why do I watch this TV show? Why do I watch this movie? Why do I go to this place with these people? What do I get from these things? Is this experience a accurate depiction of what reality is? That's one of the things I ask myself now when I watch a movie or a TV show. Like, is this a depiction of reality or is this somebody's fantasy and way to escape? You know, because I've went through a time in my life where I was where I was engaging in escapism. And when George Floyd was murdered, I escaped from that escapism. And I think that that's the next thing that I want to point out is that the reason that this this number is still like this, 1,034, two years after, when you go back and you see how many people were adamant about this being the the time that everything was going to change and things was going to be different and this would be the last time that this was like this and George Floyd was going to change the world. And I do think that George Floyd changed the world in the fact that he became a symbol. I think that whenever you add a new, whenever a new symbol enters the, the collective consciousness, that is a change in the world. And, but George Floyd was not the last, you know, there, there will never be a, the last because of the fact that oppression has always existed and justice has always existed as far, you know, when we begin to talk about civilizations, you know, I want to, to make sure I'm prefacing that when we begin to talk about history and, and, and the history, the times since history has been in existence, there has always been this type of injustice and oppression and exploit, not exploitation in the same manner, but 
So I, I don't think that there'll ever be one person where you'll be like, this is the last one. It'll never be anymore. But I do think that different people can lead to it being drop-offs and to it being changes. And George Floyd could have led to it being a drop-off in this number. This number, 1,034. Before George Floyd, it was average of 1,000 people killed, shot and killed by law enforcement every year. After George Floyd, it's an average of 1,000 people shot and killed by law enforcement every year. There is no change. I think that that's something that I'm going to have to make sure that I state so people are, are understanding where I'm coming from. There was zero change. And so then we have to ask our question, our, ourselves the question, why was there no change in that aspect? Now, part of the reason that there was no change in that aspect is also tied into him becoming a symbol, is also tied into the, to the symbolism. Because what as he became a symbol, specifically in the United States of America, capitalism took hold. And now they couldn't put George Floyd's name and picture and put that on T-shirts and sell it everywhere, even though people was doing that. But also, and that is part of what happens when you become a symbol, is people engaging capitalism around your symbolism or around a thing symbolism, an event symbolism. But one of the things that happened as well is that these corporations and these industries, these CEOs, these businesses, they used George Floyd as an avenue for their own capitalism and to further their own agendas. There's no better example of it than, than in sports leagues. And when in multiple sports leagues, they begin to put Black Lives Matter and, and we're all human and black, black excellence and, you know, the, these little catchphrases that mean nothing at all. Not, not real phrases, not real statements. Things that mean nothing, things that hold no relevance. No, not things that would, because that's what, uh, in my opinion, that's what a, a, these this type of a statement should do. You know, when you have a statement somewhere, when you use words, it, it should be things that challenge people. It has to be something that challenges people. If they put abolish the police on the infield, then that would be something mean something. If they put uh, fuck the police on the back of the helmet, that would mean something. If they put defund the police, if they, you know, if they, you know, put the names of the people who have been killed, those are things that challenge the status quo. And so, and that's again, when we start talking about symbolism, symbols in order to have a progressive change, they have to challenge the status quo. And unfortunately, the symbol, the type of symbol George Floyd took on was not one that was challenging of the status quo because of the fact that it was exploited to such an extent by Democrats. They running in this 2020 election by CNN and news outlets who was trying to get ratings and clicks on it by these businesses and CEOs that was trying to sell products off of it or get their employees to not be disgruntled about it. And, and that did a disservice to the power of the symbol that he could have taken on. Okay. So I had to step away for a second to take care of a few things. And I'm not going to lie, I do not remember my exact train of thought before I left. And I could have pushed play and remembered the last few things that I was touching on, but we are nearing the hour mark, and I want to try to keep these 
episodes of the social construct of Leslie underneath an hour and a topic, all the topics that we're going to speak on are topics that I could go on hours upon hours talking about. And I think that culturally and societally, we need to spend hours upon hours. We need to put in those 10,000 hours talking about these things for us to get to a place of progressing these issues. However, I'm just going to be adding my one hour in, not 10,000 of them at once. So I want to sort of wrap up some of the things that I touched on while speaking on the importance of George Floyd two years removed from the event taking place and two years removed from him being, I don't want to just say the event taking place, but two years removed from him being murdered. I think that what is to be learned from George Floyd is a, we cannot be desensitized to state sanctioned violence. We must be empathetic towards our fellow human beings. We must be understanding towards the plight of disenfranchised, marginalized, and subjugated, oppressed, exploited peoples. I think the the next thing that needs to that's to be learned from the murder of George Floyd and the events that took place after the murder of George Floyd and where we stand two years from now is the understanding of the inevitability of state sanctioned violence and the fact that we are, we come in a time in history where state sanctioned violence is something that has is so embedded within the culture and within the norms of our society that it is inevitably going to continue to happen at the exact same rate, if not an increased rate, unless we do something to actively force that to change. And I think that 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 statement is backed up by how we looked up and seen that since George Floyd was murdered, or this year in the last 365 days, over a thousand people have been shot and killed by police. And then I stated that that was the case before George Floyd was murdered, that a thousand people on average, would be shot and killed by police, and it has been the case since George Floyd has been murdered. And so we see that there is an an inevitability in state-sanctioned violence. Then I think the third thing that is to be learned from George Floyd is is, is, is struggle. I think that that's one of the other things that stands out to me when I think about George Floyd two years later, is that there were all type of grassroots struggles that stemmed from George Floyd being murdered. There are all type of people who all types of grassroots activism, organizations that were created, individuals that began to to alter their ideology all around not just the city of Rockford, Illinois or the the county of Winnebago or the state of Illinois, but around the country, around the world that when George Floyd was murdered, when those events of people of the uprisings that took place afterwards, the 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 protests, the demonstrations that took place afterwards, that that was a, a, a those were seeds that were being planted, and with those seeds being planted, it's important that they are properly watered, are properly watered, that they are properly cultivated, that the the garden of of the the garden of activism is being properly tended to. And for me, that has been something that I think that the May 30th Alliance has taken as a 
a high point on our agenda is trying to cultivate those seeds that were planted and understanding that that is not necessarily the most luxurious or the most glamorous process, most glamorous job. And it is not something that pays lucratively. It is not something that gets you into restaurants for free, like maybe being a, an, an older person or a mayor might, but it is something that is necessary to, it is something that is necessary to foster the type of environment that progress can take place in. It can take shape in. And one of the, the next thing that stands out to me is from when I think about George Floyd two years later is symbolism and the importance of symbolism in, in our, in our, in history and in society and in our culture and the dangers of symbolism, the pros and the cons that come with symbolisms, the good and the evil that comes along with symbolism, the duality that exists within symbolism. And George Floyd became a symbol. And unfortunately, as we touched on a few times throughout this episode, capitalism took sunk his teeth into the symbol to the symbol that was George Floyd. <clears throat> Unfortunately, politicians sunk their teeth, electoral politics sunk his teeth, sunk his teeth into the corpse of George Floyd and, and into the, the symbol of George Floyd in an effort to exact its pound of flesh from it. And unfortunately, nationwide and even locally, we did not have the right type of defense to protect that symbol the right way, to make sure that the right things were attained from that symbol once that, that, that symbol was created. But I do believe that one of the things that we will do when we look back on George Floyd three years from now, five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, is we will see that this was a step toward the, toward building that type of environment towards building that type of defense where we can protect our symbols, where we can, where we can protect the sanctity of those symbols and make sure that they're not used by corporations and by businesses and talking heads and politicians to further their agendas or used by media conglomerates to get click clicks on internet videos or YouTube videos or or, or things like that. And I, but I do think that that's something that has to be consciously done. And I think that the last thing that I think of, not the last thing I think of, but what I will end this episode on when reflecting back on George Floyd is, is the concept of, the concept of collectivism. And, how everything that was not attained after George Floyd was murdered was not attained because we did not have a sense of collectivism that existed both locally in the black community and nationally in the, in the black community or in, the, in, in black America. And then also in America as a whole, that there is no, real understanding of how interconnected we are we all are there is no real understanding of intersectionality that there is no understanding of that there's no understanding of the role that that being the best individual you can be 
plays into making the collective the best that it can be and that that we are only as weak as our we're only as strong as our weakest link and weakest link and i don't mean that in a way of might being making right i mean that in a way of the most vulnerable people in our society we are only as strong as we allow those people to be vulnerable and until we take the onus to protect those people until we take the onus to break these cycles that exist until we take the onus to challenge these, these value systems and these cultural norms that exist, then we individually have to be held accountable for the things that collectively continue to happen to us. And I, I believe that in the last two years, Plus, since I've been involved in the struggle against police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice in Winnebago County, that I have gained a, a much deeper appreciation and understanding for the concept of collectivism. And it's something that I continue to try to evolve and grow every day. And I want to thank people for spending an hour of their time with me or however much, however long it may, no matter how long it may have taken you to get to this point in the podcast episode, I hope that you listen to everything to arrive to this point. And so I want to thank you for, for giving me an hour of your time. I would like to invite you back next week at the exact same day, at the exact same time. I wish I could say what that day and time was, but at this point in time, I do not know what day or time we will be releasing these podcast episodes. I want to get at least eight to 10 of them set up so that way we're two months in advance and I can guarantee people that these things will be releasing. So I will talk to you next week, whenever next week will be for you. I will probably be recording this next episode tomorrow. So I'll still be, I want to try to keep this. Like I said, I want to keep this fire, this inspiration that I got here and uh, try to capture it as best as I can. I want to encourage people to please listen to our Rob for the Reading Daily podcast episodes. We put those out every day at 8 o'clock a.m. I want to say that we will have more podcast series coming. That is something that I am going to take the the onus and take the forefront and be on the forefront of producing and putting together more podcast episodes, providing more voices from the, the Rockford and Winnebago County area and talking about these issues as regularly as possible, putting things, multiple podcast episodes out every single day. We, we want to, to, to really start to, to push the content more in an effort to penetrate the culture. So please share this episode link on whatever social media platform that you may use. Remember, we put these episodes out on SoundCloud, YouTube, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, any Pocket Cast, anywhere podcasts are available, anywhere audio is available. This podcast series is available, and I'm holler at you next week. Well, unless you leave, listen to Rafa Reading Daily. If you listen to Rafa Reading Daily, then I'll holler at you tomorrow.